0: welcome to two inches off the ground when you are enlightened you live your life two inches off the ground this is season two episode 34 what is a time slip the moberly Jordan incident which i know you guys are like what is that <laughs> and i have a feeling you know it and we are going to be discussing it today. I do have to say that (laughs) the minute, I'm not saying five minutes from, I'm saying the minute I decided to record today, the town has come and decided to chop down a tree right next to my house. So uh, if there's noise in the background, I apologize. I will try to minimize it. But This is the only time I can record today, so that's why I have to just go with it, and hopefully they'll be a little bit quiet with their chainsaw, you know? (laughs) Anyway, um, I wanted to take a break from all the trauma episodes because I've been doing them for the UC podcast, Ulcerative Colitis Autoimmune Healing Journey, one of my other podcasts. I've been doing some trauma episodes for this podcast, which... I feel like I've been on a trauma publicity blitz or tour or something like that, but uh, press tour, that's the word I was thinking of, but I want to kind of go into something more fun today. I wanted to return to the paranormal and do something fun and take a little break from trauma. (laughs) So that is why we are talking about time slips today. A time slip is a phenomenon where a person or a group of people seem to travel through time by unknown means. Okay. Why is it different than time travel? I read a, I read this long article about the difference between time travel and a time slip. Long story short, it was very convoluted, but the basics of it is time travel is more scientifically based. A time slip is just where, for example, let's say I'm driving on a country road. I come upon this field and I see old-fashioned farmers in it. I see old-fashioned farm equipment from 100 years ago. And then a week later, I'm driving on that same road, go to that same field, and there's nothing there. So I had a time slip. Or number two You can see a time slip or you can witness or be a part of someone else's time slip. There is a famous story, this happened in 2003, where a man was in a parking lot and all of a sudden he sees a man appear who is dressed from the 1800s. The 1800s gentleman comes up to him and he is frazzled and upset and he said what's the date what's the date the guy says to him 2003 and then the gentleman from the 1800s becomes more hysterical and screams in his face what's the date and the guy says the date which ends in 2003 the 1800s man just looks flabbergasted and takes a second and calms down so the original man from 2003 He's in a parking lot. He turns back around because he thinks this guy is just a weird, hysterical person, turns around, about to unlock his truck, turns around again to see the man, and the man's completely gone. So there's that type of time slip as well, where you are involved in it, but someone else is having the time slip. There are four characteristics of a time slip, according to historical writer Mike Dash of Mike-History.com. Okay, I have to say before I go into these characteristics, I got sucked into this. <laughs> I got sucked into the Mike-History.com website. He is a historical writer, but he focuses on the weird and the bizarre, and a little bit paranormal. Not a lot of paranormal, but a little bit. And I could not stop reading this website. I mean, this website sucked probably two hours of my Sunday because it was so good. And I want to go back and read more and use some of it for this podcast. But if anyone's interested and you're into bizarre history, mike-history.com. And I'm saying dash is in D. A-S-H. Okay, so let's go back. He says there are four characteristics of a time slip. Here they are. Number one, the people involved are fully aware that something strange is occurring, but the reality of the time slip phenomenon does not register until sometime later. Number two, there's an unnatural stillness in the surroundings, such as lack of leaves rustling in trees, wind, birds chirping. Everything is still and silent. Number three, a time slip is fully immersive. The people can interact in the time slip environment. Number four, people see something from another time that they shouldn't have seen or known about. Okay, so let's start with the most famous time slip of... All time. It's called the Moberly-Jordain incident. Some people look it up as the Versailles time slip, the Versailles incident. I've known of this time slip since I was a small child. I've known about it forever. I just never had a name to put with it. Now I do. It is an amazingly fascinating story and I've read books on it and I have to say that Wikipedia does a good job of summarizing it So I'm going to read from Wikipedia today, which I know is not fancy, but that's the best summary I can give you. So let me access that page. In 1901, there were these two British female academics, Charlotte Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain. And they had visited Paris several times, but this time when they visited Versailles, they had an incident that they will never forget. So here we go. Moberly and Jourdain recounted that they had decided to visit the Palace of Versailles as part of several trips around Paris, detailing how on August 10th, 1901, they had traveled by train to Versailles. They remembered not thinking much of the palace after touring it, so they said they decided to walk through the gardens to the Petite Trianon, but after reaching the Grand Trianon, found it was closed to the public. They recollected traveling with a guidebook but they said they became lost after missing the turn for the main avenue and entered a lane where they bypassed their destination moberly reported that she noticed a woman shaking a white cloth out of a window while jordane recalled noticing an old deserted farmhouse outside of which was an old plow at this point they described a feeling of oppression and dreariness coming over them By the way, when I've researched time slips, you hear about this a lot, this feeling of just ominous uh, dread, that type of feeling. At this point, they described a feeling of oppression and dreariness coming over them after which men, who they thought looked like palace gardeners, told them to go straight on. Moberly described the men as very dignified officials, dressed in long grayish green coats with small three-cornered hats. Jourdain recalled that she noticed a cottage with a woman holding out a jug to a girl in the doorway, describing it as a tableau vivant, or a living picture, much like Madame Toussaint's Waxworks. Moberly did not observe the cottage, but remembered that she felt the atmosphere of change. She wrote, everything suddenly looked unnatural, therefore unpleasant. Even the trees seemed to become flat and lifeless, like wood worked in tapestry. There were no effects of light and shade and no wind stirred in the trees. They reported reaching the edge of a wood close to the Temple del Amor and coming across a man seated beside a garden kiosk or gazebo wearing a cloak and large shady hat. According to Moberly, his appearance was most repulsive, its expression odious, his complexion was dark and rough. Jordan noted, the man slowly turned his face, which was marked by smallpox. His complexion was very dark. The expression was evil and yet unseeing. Though I did not feel that he was looking particularly at us, I felt a repugnance to going past him. They said that another man whom they described as tall with large dark eyes and crisp curling black hair under a large sombrero hat came up to them and showed them the way to the petite try on moberly said she noticed a lady sketching on the grass who looked at them after they crossed a bridge to reach the gardens in front of the palace she later described the lady as wearing a light summer dress and a shady white hat with much fair hair moberly reported that she thought she was a tourist at first but the dress appeared to be old-fashioned moberly came to believe that the lady was marie antoinette Jourdain, however did not see the lady At their return to the palace, they reported that they were directed round to the entrance and joined a party of other visitors, and then after they toured the house, they went back to Jourdain's apartment. According to Jourdain and Moberly, neither woman mentioned the incident to one another until a week after leaving Versailles, when Moberly, in a letter to her sister about their trip, started writing about the afternoon of the Versailles incident. She reportedly asked Jourdain... If she thought the petite trianon was haunted and Jourdain told her she thought it was, three months later in Oxford, the pair said that they compared notes and decided to write separate accounts of what happened while also researching the history of the trianon. They thought that they might have seen events that took place on August 10th, 1792, only six weeks before the abolition of the French monarchy, when the Tuileries palace in Paris was besieged and the king's Swiss guards were massacred. According to their narrative, they visited the Trianon Gardens again on several occasions but were unable to trace the path they took. Various landmarks, such as the kiosk or the gazebo, and the bridge were missing and the grounds were full of people. Trying to come up with an explanation, they wondered if they had stumbled across a private party or an event book that day. However, they found that nothing had been booked that afternoon. Through their research, they thought they recognized the man that they reportedly saw by the gazebo as Comte de Vaudrel, a friend of Marie Antoinette, who herself, Moberly, had claimed to see. Convinced that the grounds were haunted, they decided to publish their story in a book, An Adventure, in 1911 under the pseudonyms of Elizabeth Morrison and Francis Lamont, The book containing the claim that Marie Antoinette had been encountered in 1901 caused a sensation. However, many critics did not take it seriously due to its implausibilities and inconsistencies. Okay, so let's get to that because I have mixed feelings about this time slip. And that's the thing with time slips. They're complicated. So you can always, I feel, debunk a time slip. So that's a good thing, and that's a bad thing. I find with this one, there are a lot of holes in the story, and I'm going to read you about some of those holes. A non-supernatural explanation of the events was proposed by Philippe Julien in his 1965 biography of the aristocratic, decadent French poet Robert de Montesquieu. At the time of Moberly and Jourdain's excursion to Versailles, Montesquieu lived nearby and reportedly gave parties in the grounds where his friends dressed in period costume and performed tableaux vivants as part of the party entertainments. Moberly and Jourdain may have inadvertently gatecrashed a gay, fancy dress party that they confused for a haunting. The Marie Antoinette figure could have been a society lady or a cross-dresser the pockmarked man Montesquieu himself. It was suggested that a gathering of the French decadent avant-garde of the time could have made a sinister impression on the two middle-class Edwardian spinsters, I love that word, who would have been little used to such company. Okay, so if you read through this, it talks about a lot of the debunking, and I just want to get to the next one, which I found really interesting. Brian Dunning of Skeptoid concluded that Moberly and Jourdain were simply human and were mistaken. He notes that the editions of an adventure were embellished each time they were published, and inconsistencies in their memories were apparent. For example, in the second edition, the pair wrote that Moberly did not mention the sketching woman to Jourdain until three months after their visit to Versailles, and Jourdain did not remember such a thing. In contrast, Moberly did not remember much of what Jourdain described. It was only after much discussion, note-sharing, and historical research that Moberly and Jourdain came up with the time period as 1789 and assigned identities to a few of the characters they saw, including Marie Antoinette herself as a lady sketching on the lawn. As Moberly and Jourdain admitted they had been lost on the vast grounds of Versailles, Dunning notes that their descriptions of footbridges and kiosks or gazebos could fit any number of existing structures. I think the theory of Robert Montesquieu having the party makes the most sense to me. Because if you think about it, at the time in 1901, because Montesquieu was gay, these parties, my guess, were probably hidden from the public. And these two women probably did stumble upon them. And I don't love the word spinster, but <laughs> I understand when you have these two wasps coming across this cross-dressing gay party for the time, it may have been shocking to them. I also looked up pictures of Montesquieu. I did not see the pock marks. But he did have a much darker complexion. And in these photos, if you look him up, he has a sinister look to him. He's not smiling. And I could see where they're already scared. They look up and they see this darker man who apparently historically did have the pockmarks of smallpox. I find it also interesting how they said that the woman sketching was Marie Antoinette. I think we all know about cross-dressing and drag queens in this era. And when they are able to make themselves up, for the most part, they do an incredible job. So if this man was having a gay party, and if it was, let's just say, a cross-dresser, a drag queen, sitting there painting, I could see that this person who could have been a man looks exactly like Marie Antoinette. So the gay party theory is probably what I think happened. I'm not sure they were in a time slip, but I will say it is unusual unless they were embellishing that they had that recollection of time stopping, of just time standing still. I also find it interesting that you have these two women In 1901, they are speaking English. They are, I'm assuming they're speaking English because they're both British. They are dressed in early 1900s clothing and they go back to the late 1780s and someone actually interacts with them and talks with them and it's not a big deal how they're dressed, that they're speaking in English. So that to me is a bit of a hole in the story as well. It is a fascinating story. I'm not sure what happened. I do not think Moberly or Jourdain are liars. I find it strange that they would include the paranormal details in the later editions once you include that in the first editions, not the later editions. However, there is one element to the story that may explain why they did this, There are rumors that they were allegedly a lesbian couple, which again, if you're thinking about Edwardian, 1901 England, that is not the thing to be, right? You want to keep this hush-hush, they're just friends. If they were a lesbian couple and they wanted to write this book, perhaps, this is just a theory, this is my theory, that they did not include the paranormal... Event to begin with because they didn't want to be labeled as freaks because in that day, unfortunately, they would have been, you know, it would have been a target on their back having this book about the paranormal. And then on top of it, maybe people would discover they're lesbians. However, they did write under pseudonyms and they did not come out with their real identities for 30 years. So I'm, I'm just not sure about All of it, I don't think it was a time slip, but I think it was a really, really good story. So let's move on to another popular time slip. This one I really enjoy. By the way, I had to stop recording because my TV started talking to me. This is what happens when I delve into the paranormal. I had to (laughs) stop and make sure that the TV was not talking to me anymore, so it wouldn't interrupt this recording. But this is normal for this house. You know how it goes. (laughs) Anyway, and by the way, there's no timers on this TV. There's nothing. It'll just start talking to me. Not all the time, but definitely when there's a paranormal thing going on. So the next time slip that I found fascinating was, again, British tourists going to France. (laughs) And a lot of these time slips, you'll find that it's British tourists going to France, which I find so funny. I don't know what happens when you cross that English channel. I've done it. I didn't have a time slip, but apparently it's a thing. It makes sense because Europe is so ancient. It has such a long history that I'm not surprised. The US, of course, you can have time slips here too. But with Europe, it's just that special, magical, metaphysical energy. In this time slip, there were two British couples on vacation. On their way from England to Spain, they decided to stop in this small town in France in the middle of nowhere, basically. Now, back in those days, by the way, it was 1979. I have to include the date. Hello. Back in those days in 1979, you could just kind of you know, drive into a motel and say, hey, is there a vacancy? And they would say yes or no. Nowadays, we just know reservations for our younger listeners. Back in the day, you could do that, but now you can't with reservations because you have to have them. They stopped along the road in France in this small country area, and they asked at the motel if they had vacancies, which they did not. They kept driving, and they saw this sign. It was this old weathered sign for a circus. Right next to the sign was a cobblestone road, so they drove down the cobblestone road. They found this stone building, which was an inn. They went inside, and they did have vacancies. It was late. They found it strange upon entering because the furniture was very basic. There was no glass in the walls. There were no glass windows. It was just shutters. And there were no phones. They ate a dinner of steak and eggs, just very simple. And then they went up to their room. When they came down the next morning, there were people in the breakfast area, the dining area, who were dressed as if they were from the 1800s. In fact, there was one woman eating breakfast, seven o'clock in the morning. She is in a gray ball gown that you would see from the 1800s. The tourists were shocked. They sat down, they ate, they just observed everything around them, and they decided to take pictures. So they pulled out their cameras, took pictures. After breakfast, they decided to be on their way. They checked out with the innkeeper. The price of the inn was absolutely nothing. It was the equivalent of two pounds British. So they were excited by that and they basically left the premise. Two weeks later, on their way back, they decide to stop at the hotel again, because they said, hey, that was a really weird experience, let's stop again. They drive, they see the circus sign, they see the cobbled stone road, they drive down it, they cannot find this inn. And keep in mind, it's only two weeks later in 1979. Cannot find it. They finally say, forget it, we're gonna leave. And they just drive back, find something else. After their vacation, they can't stop thinking and talking about this incident. So four years later, they decide to return to the same little country town in France. And they see the circus sign. They see the cobblestone road. They drive down it. No inn. They finally decide to talk to the townspeople who tell them that No inn has ever existed. By the way, I wanted to mention that in those four years, they obviously developed the photos from the inn. None of the photos came out. None of them could be developed. So they asked the townspeople. The townspeople said, there's an inn that sounds very similar to it. So they drive to that inn, and it's similar, but it's not the same thing these British tourists are convinced that what they saw and what they entered was a time slip, especially because their photos did not develop. Hmm. I find it coincidental that there was an inn in the town that was very similar to what they were describing and what they stayed in, but they swore up and down that this was not the hotel that They stayed in four years ago. This was something different. And it wasn't in the vicinity where they were talking about. Yes, it was in the small town, but it wasn't down the cobblestone road or anything like that. So they are convinced that they stumbled into a stone inn from the 1800s. Here are a couple, again, holes in the story. If they're from 1979 and they're driving a car from 1979 onto the property. They park the car. They're probably wearing shorts and T-shirts. And think about it as women wearing shorts and T-shirts, probably bell bottoms. They probably have cameras. So they have these modern cameras hanging around their necks. They pay with futuristic money and no one blinks. And also the people in the breakfast nook didn't seem disturbed by them in any way didn't seem to acknowledge them also they didn't talk in depth about the innkeeper wouldn't the innkeeper be like this is weird there's people dressed in weird clothing in this machine i've never seen a car that's where the holes in the story are not adding up to me again i don't think they're lying I don't think they're lying at all. Why would you lie and put yourself out there? I do believe something happened. Perhaps it's another incident, much like mobley Jourdain where they stumbled upon some type of reenactment party. I'm going to stretch this one and say, perhaps it could have been another kind of secret gay party, cross-dressing, because that really struck me with the person in the ball gown. Because in 1979 in small town France, it could have been something where you wanted to keep quiet yet again. If this were a time slip, what about the innkeeper? Was the innkeeper someone who could go in between 1979 and the 1800s? So the futuristic money, the way they were dressed, the car didn't disturb them. But yet at the same time, the 1800s people didn't disturb them. Is this someone who's in a go-between? So I have a lot of questions. I do find it strange that although the other film developed no problem from the trip, that film did not develop. So I'm going to say for this one, I'm 50-50. I'm on the fence with this one. I think there's a big possibility it could have been a time slip. All right, so now I want to talk about my time slip, which you have heard about in the Parallel Universe episode, but I briefly mentioned it there. Today, I am going to really dissect it because I want you to understand that I fully think that I had a time slip. I took a trip as a corporate flight attendant, corporate flight attendant flying on private jets with the rich and famous. I took a trip to Ypsilanti, Michigan. That is YP. S I L A N T I Michigan Ypsilanti is 35 miles southwest of downtown Detroit. I did not get to the main town of Ypsilanti when I was there, but I looked it up online. It's very cute, it's this colorful building, modern town. And this is important to the story. I looked up the fast food chains there and they were all very modern looking, very modern looking buildings like a McDonald's cafe. I start out that day, this was in 2018. It was summer 2018. I start out that day at the FBO. This FBO or little airport is in the middle of nowhere. So the pilots just wanted to relax in the crew lounge because we were there for a few hours. I wanted to go out and find food. At these FBOs, sometimes when they're older, they'll give you a 1970s, 1980s police car. They disable the lights and the sirens, which sucks. I got in the car and I drove around the airport and probably about five, 10 minutes from the airport, I found this area which had a grocery store. I drive into this area. So if you can think about it, on my left in the corner is a grocery store. And then on my right are McDonald's and Arby's. And there's something else like an older fast food chain that I haven't seen in years, like a Long John Silver's. I mean, you haven't seen those things in years. All of these fast food chain facades, the buildings, all looked as if they were from the 70s or the 80s. Nothing looked modern. If you remember in the 1980s how the McDonald's looked, that's exactly how it looked with the arches and the whole thing. There was no modern play place or cafe or anything like that. And I found it weird that it was Long John Silver's and I even said to myself, I remember in the 80s going on trips to Pennsylvania and seeing these things. Now, I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm sure they probably still do exist in certain, you know, areas of the country. But remember that the buildings were really 1970s, 1980s looking, that old. So I pull into the parking lot of the grocery store. And the parking lot is, let's say, three quarters full. And all of the cars are from the 1970s or 1980s. I do not see one Land Rover Nissan Rogue, Honda CRV, nothing is modern. Everything is like I step back in time. I enter the grocery store and I stop because I first remember that the shopping carts were old. They looked again like something you would see from the 80s. And then I look towards inside the grocery store that was busy. And I remember just stopping in my tracks because it looked like I had entered a scene from the 1980s. Seriously, like it, exactly how the people were dressed, what the people looked like, the grocery store itself, the grocery store had carpeting, which I'm not saying doesn't exist today, but I've, I don't think I've seen it in quite some time. I remember the cashier who had the punk rock 80s look, including the makeup, including the Madonna look, including the high hair. And those around her didn't look like punk rockers, but they look like outfits from the 1970s or 1980s, you know, like the shorts, those really short shorts and the whole thing. Now, I had a strange feeling, but I did not have that. Everything is still, time stops, I can't hear anything. It wasn't like that. I could hear, I could see, I could probably interact if I wanted to interact, but I was in shock. It looked like an absolute throwback. Now, (laughs) one of my regrets is that I wish I had stayed and looked at the products on the shelf because I was so shocked. And then at the same time, I was also kind of annoyed because I was like, God damn it, I can't find a decent Whole Foods or something where I can get something healthy. So I just turned around and I left. I left the store, I left the parking lot. I wish I had stayed to look at the products on the shelf because then I could have seen, okay, is this a Wheaties box from the 80s? Is Bruce Jenner now Caitlyn Jenner on the box? What do the products look like? I think that would have answered a lot of questions if I was in a time slip, but like most of these people where time slips occur, I couldn't get my head around it. And the funny part, right, is that I am so into the paranormal. I am so into the metaphysical, but yet I still couldn't get my mind around it, couldn't get my head around it. Like other people who have experienced time slips, I really didn't get my head around this for some time after. And I said, okay, I think what I experienced was a time slip, but when you're in the moment of it, it's too confusing. You don't understand. Experts say that time slips often happen when driving or flying. Why? Because you're in a meditative, open headspace. If you think about me that day, I was working, but I was in a really good mood and I was in a really relaxed state. I had flown in on a plane and I was driving in a car from the 1970s, 1980s. What I talked about in the mobley Jourdain incident and the hotel incident of 1979 You'll find a lot of times people are in a good mood, they're on vacation, and this is when it happens. When my husband and I listened to some stories about time slips yesterday, because I wanted him to listen to the pilot time slips because he is a pilot and he found them fascinating. One of the time slips he listened to, it was a pilot in the 1930s. He was in, again, Britain. As he reports, he was in a marvelous mood. He was in a heightened, happy mood that day. His plane was about to go through a storm. He had to divert and land at what was seemingly an abandoned airport. When he got on the ground, he saw a plane from another time. He was flying in a biplane Uh, This was military space, and he was only used to seeing biplanes, but this plane had fixed wings on it. There was a wing on one side of the plane and a wing on the other side of the plane. He had never seen that. There was a toolbox open. There was a mechanic that he did talk to for one second, and the mechanic was wearing a blue uniform, and he was used to seeing the military gray uniforms of the mechanic's And he didn't realize what was going on. He found it all very strange, but he said, you know what, I'm just gonna leave because a storm has passed, so he left. Several years later, the new plane of the military was that fixed wing, wing on one side of the plane, wing on the other side, so that's when he saw it and recognized it. Also, the mechanic uniform for the British military had changed from gray to blue, and it was the blue of the mechanic he had seen that day. So he believes that he traveled a few years into the future because when he was back in the past and he described that airport, they said, no one's there, it's abandoned. And I believe he actually even traveled to that airport and no one was there and it was abandoned. That's a good example of, again, you're in this meditative, relaxed state where you're in a good mood. Something about the Ypsilanti time slip was that I remember for some odd reason that I was in a really good mood that day. I was really happy. I was really elated. I was really high vibrational. And then this occurred. Why would I remember that? Out of all the days to remember I was in a good high vibrational mood, why would I remember that day in particular? I also want to say, I was debating mentioning this, but I thought it was a little too strange after I talked to my husband about it. So my husband's a pilot. And he said to me, when I said the name Ypsilanti, he said, I know that name from somewhere. Ypsilanti is famous in the aviation world because there was a famous hypoxia incident that they got the recording off of where the pilot fell into hypoxia. Hypoxia is when your body is not getting oxygen. The oxygen is not going to your cells, so it pretty much kills your brain. And what happens when you're in hypoxia, you start talking like this and you can't understand anything, you can't focus. It's like you're almost going into a coma, falling asleep. If you Google hypoxia, you can hear what pilots sound like when they go into hypoxia, it's terrifying. It's a scary thing. So this pilot had a hypoxic incident right over Ypsilanti. And I asked Craig if there was anything paranormal in that story and he said to him, no, but he said, who knows? because you he'd have to talk to the pilot. But the one thing he did find strange is that it was a pressurization issue. But he said, usually when it's a pressurization issue, you hear it, you know it, you hear a loud sound. And this pilot, because they have the recordings on him, seemed to just drop into pressurization. There was no warning, which Craig said is highly unusual. I'm mentioning this because I wonder, possibly, and this is just my theory, that there could be some type of strange vortex around Ypsilanti. When we flew in there, I do not remember any strange weather occurring. I don't remember anything strange with the flight at all. So I I can't subscribe to that theory. But I do find it a little odd that this hypoxia incident, which was highly unusual that it just occurred without warning happened in the same place where I believe I had a time slip. Just wanted to throw that in. I'm not trying to make the paranormal out of something not paranormal, but hey, it's something to think about. The good news is that the airport closest to me has direct flights to Detroit. So this may be something that I try to explore in the next year or so. I might try to go back to Ypsilanti and see if anything happens If any of you know anything about a vortex or anything strange happening in Ypsilanti, please DM me, uh, uh, email me, because I'd love to know if you've heard anything. So just something kind of fun to throw out there, right? I personally believe that time slips happen all the time. I believe it either happens and we don't realize it, or it's so subtle and we don't realize it, or... Like I had said in the beginning with the man from 2003, seeing the man from the 1800s, perhaps we've seen a time traveler come into our time by accident and we just don't realize it. I really think because we are lifting the veil on consciousness and the metaphysical and things like aliens and other universes, I really do believe that we're going to start seeing a lot more time travel, time slips all of these things, and they will become recognizable. And I think by the time, if I live until, let's say, 80 years old, right, if I live another 40-something years, no, that's bad math. Again, why is my math so bad? If I live another 36 years, (laughs) I do believe that we're going to start seeing time travel machines, people talking about time slips like they're normal. I, I really do see this for the future, so get ready. The only thing I want to add is a TV show that I really loved to the point that I think I'm going to watch it again entirely the second time. It's a paranormal show called Shining Veil. It's on Stars. I either watched it on Hulu or Prime, so look at both. It stars Courtney Cox, who played Monica in Friends, and it also stars Greg Kinnear. It is so funny. I would describe it as a cross between a very light American horror story and The Shining. I love the sets so much in Shining Vale that I have a kitchen from the same era and I want to renovate it to look like Shining Vale. I'm not even kidding you. That's how much I love it. Also, I should mention Mira Servino is in it too, and she does a wonderful job. This show is about a family from the city They decide to move to the country of Connecticut and they buy a haunted house, but you can see it has a lot to do with time slips, but more with ghost time slips, which I'm going to be talking about for Halloween. I already know my Halloween episode, which I'm really excited about, which is going to be ghost time slips and uh, how I've had them and what I think, you know, hauntings actually are because I feel like I'm so much more knowledgeable about all of this in the paranormal. My only question to you as we leave this episode and I leave you today is, have you had a time slip? Or have you been a witness to a time traveler who's had a time slip? Something to think about this week. I'm gonna think about it more as well, but I think (laughs) the Ypsilanti one was the big one for me. Until next time, live your life two inches off the ground.